Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sirah, and much more. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله الكريم Brothers and sisters, السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته إن شاء الله تعالى we'll continue our sessions in the seerah the seerah of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم Just a quick reminder, last time we met we were talking about how الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم was able to overcome the challenges that faced him uh, in, in Medina. We did talk about the challenges and uh, we did not finish how he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, overcome them, how he uh, resolved all of these uh, challenges. And today, inshallah ta'ala, we'll continue. We might, need, we might need another session to cover this topic, uh, uh, all of it. Uh, in, in the past sessions, we have seen that the challenge that Rasulullah was facing in the Mecca era was tough, was uh, harsh. And then after the migration, we came to know that yet there is more challenges in, let's say, in a different uh, forms. Rasulullah, after the migration, he was, he became the head of the state in Medina. He was accepted by the people of Al-Hawus Al-Khazraj as the head of the state. He is the new ruler for the people of Medina with a completely new system, a system that never seen, uh, seen before. So we need to know, was it like really smooth, easy, or it was a lot of challenges? And how Rasulullah overcome these challenges? And how do we, and how do we get you know, the, the, uh, the solutions when, insha'Allah ta'ala, our new Khalifa comes. As we see, insha'Allah ta'ala, it could be uh, soon, Allahu alam, but we feel that the change is coming soon, that the change is coming soon, and when the state comes, it's not going to be like, as they say, a piece of cake, and with, you know, a, a magic stick, okay, the Khalifa will have, and everything will change, the economy will be perfect, the social life will be perfect and there is no uh, wars or there is no attacks, no. There will be a lot of challenges and always we have to go back to our best model, the Prophet ﷺ. How did he face all of these challenges? And we will take, you know, the, uh, the solutions from this. Last time we talked about, in order to understand these challenges, we have to look at the society of Medina and the societies that are surrounding the Medina, okay? And of course, since there is a big struggle between the people of Quraysh and the Prophet ﷺ and his companions, we have to study how the relationship was uh, between the Prophet ﷺ and Quraysh and how he addressed those, those people. So in understand, to understand this, let's just take a quick look at the society of Medina. When we look at the site of Medina, we find out that there are 
different categories of people. We have Muslims, then Muslims among the Aus and Khazraj, and the, these are the Ansar and the Muhajireen. Then we have the Mushriks of Aus and Khazraj. Not all of the Aus and Khazraj were Muslims. As we said last time, the majority actually, as a matter of fact, the majority of the people of Medina, they were not Muslims. Even though the public opinion was in the favor of the Prophet and it was in the favor of the Muslimin, but yet the majority of the people in Medina, it was for the Mushrikeen. So there's the Mushriks of Aus and Khazraj. And among these Mushriks, as we said, there will be like the fifth column that will be developed. The Munafiqeen, the hypocrites, whom will be, whom, who will form maybe the, 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 the biggest danger on the state that will come. So how Rasulullah was dealing with those Mushrikeen. So we said the Muslimin, uh, we talked about the Muslimin, uh, Aus and Khazraj. Then we talked about the Mushrikeen of Aus and Khazraj. And then there is other group. That group is what? The group of the Jewish. The Jewish and those people, they were very dangerous. Those people, they were very slick. They are, they were like known with their will, uh, willingness, cowardness, conspiracy, all of the conspiracy, all of the, uh, all of the plots, all of the games, all of the, most of the, you know, the tricks to make that new state collapse, it became from the, those people. Moreover, those people, they, they are the ones who were controlling the businesses and the market, such as even the grains, uh, the market of dates, the market of clothing, the market of jewelry. And they were controlling the most of the wells of water in Medina. So those people, they could be a big threat to the state through, let's say, economic sanction. If through economic sanction. And there was were four or five, five, four tribes in Medina, three of them very close to the Medina, and one of them far away from Medina, Banu Qaynuqa, Banu Nadir, Bani Quraidha, and the Jew of Khaybar. All of these, all of these, all of these four tribes, they had a treaty with the Prophet ﷺ, as we see, and all of them, they betrayed this treaty, and they tried to work within the Medina, all right? to make this new state to collapse. So how Rasulullah dealt with those people? That was a big obstacle, as a matter of fact. Now, when we talk about the mushriks are, who are surrounding the Medina, still there's a lot of tribes who were living under Jahiliyyah. Those also, they could form a threat against the uh, Islamic State. Those people, they were living on what? In, on, on, on stealing, on cheating, on like uh, attacking each other, uh, uh, taking the money, taking the wealth. Take. So those people could cause or could form uh, a coalition with Quraysh and become a threat against the state. And then how our Rasul dealt with those people. Then we become and talk about the biggest obstacle, which is the people of Quraysh. Quraysh, right after, as we will see, right after the migration of the Prophet ﷺ, and after they came to know that Rasul 
reached Al-Madinah safe, from that day, they declare the state of war with the Prophet right away. So the Battle of Badr was not the first. No, there was a lot of attempts before the Battle of Badr. How our Rasul dealt with that. Now, there's also another group, Muslims, who were under the responsibility of this of the Prophet وسلم, but they were not living in Medina. Those are two or three groups. The first one, if you remember, those who migrated to Abyssinia, Al-Habasha, with Ja'far ibn Abi Talib. Those people, they are there. So what the Prophet وسلم, will deal with them? Then the other group are those people who stayed in Mecca. Who stayed in Mecca, they were weak. They could not do anything, they could not migrate. How our Rasul dealt with them. And the third category are the Muslims from outside Mecca, outside Abyssinia, in different tribes, like the tribe of Daus and the tribe of Ghafar. How did the Prophet deal with them? So all of these are challenges. All of these are responsibility on the, on the shoulder of this state. And given the fact that this is a new state, no economy, no money, the treasury of the house does not even exist. Uh, the people of al awsul Khazras, they were poor, not rich. The Yahud were the one who controlled the market. So all of these things, how our Rasul dealt with it. Last time we talked about what? The first and the most important thing is to build up what? A headquarter for that state. And that headquarter, and if you will, that is the government building of the state was the masjid was the masjid. So we talked about this, that the masjid has a big role in the Islamic State. It was not just for the prayer. The prayer was part one thing among many, one thing among many things that the Muslims used to, uh, to do. We said it was the uh, headquarter of the state that has all the administration departments in the masjid of Rasulullah In that masjid, all the economic plans were set in that masjid, it was the center of the da'wah. It was the education institute. Everybody has a question. He used to come to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He asked the question. The wahi comes. Our Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam addressed the people with this a new revelation from Quran. Addressed them with the ahadith. In that, it was even the parliament where our Rasul used to consult his companions in the masjid. It was also the launching point of all of the Muslim armies. In that masjid, the Rasul used to appoint the leaders and the chief of the armies. In that masjid, the Rasul used to welcome the delegation from other tribes and other, uh, other states and other people. In that masjid, the Rasul it was the house of judgment. It was the place even for the needy people used to come and stay in the masjid. If you go and read in the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, there's the, 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 the people of the people, the, the people, a group of people who, are, who were like called the people of Sufa. They used to come and eat and drink and get the, the, the aid also in that masjid. It was, and it was also the center of the media. Where Rasulullah used to declare announcement, all of these from the masjid and it was a place for prayer. Not like now, 
the masjids only, only, so be it like in the West or even in the Muslim countries. It's for the prayers. Once you finish the prayer, you go outside, they lock the door, you come, you know, for the prayer one more time. It is not anymore like, you know, how it was in the beginning of the Islamic State. Now, how Rasulullah dealt with those challenges? He has the headquarters, he has the place, everything is set. Now, we need to deal with these challenges. We will start with what? With the Muslims. Among these categories, we're going to go like one after another and to see what was the solution. Al-Aws wal-Khazraj. The Muslims of Al-Aws wal-Khazraj. Those are the Ansar. Those are the Ansar who protected and who harbored and who supported the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the Muhajireen. Those who accepted this huge responsibility, this huge responsibility of protecting the Da'wah and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. As we said, those people they came from a very long battles and fights. So their economy is, that, is not that strong. Moreover, they were poor. They were poor, they didn't have enough. Even though they were farmers, but still, they were poor. As we said, all the economic keys were in the hands of the Yehud, who used to think themselves as they are a higher class than the, those Arabs who lived in Medina. They used to look, to look at themselves as they are the people of education, the people of religion, the people of deen. Those people are very low class. That's what that was their, their mentality. So they were not looking at them as a regular human. And when the Prophet ﷺ came with a message, with Islam, with deen, that was a big threat for the Yahud. So that's why they took the stand of animosity against Muslim and Islam. So the, people, the Muslims, the Muslims, they were poor, okay? And now, with the new people who migrated to them, that also become a burden on them. So it's not just taking care of them on this, on, on, of themselves yet, no. They need to take care of what? Of those new people who migrated to Medina, the Muhajireen. So the Prophet ﷺ, he was depending and relying on their strong Iman and their strong Aqeedah. Because the Prophet ﷺ built their personality, built their personality on Islam. He built their mentality on Islam. So they have now a very, a very weak uh, point of view, of view about this life. Everything, all of their concepts in the Jahili has been changed. Right now, the way they look at the actions is completely different. The scale of action becomes what? Halal and haram. The happiness, the happiness in their eyes, it becomes how do we please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? It's not tribalism anymore. It's not, it's not uh, you know, uh, to be proud of their ancestors and the benefit and the self-interest anymore. It becomes it becomes the halal and haram and how to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is was their ultimate objective. That is their ultimate objective. And this values, 
they acquired these values only in two years, in two years of da'wah. The first year, they were by themselves, and the second year, the da'wah of Mus'ab with them. Just two years, and they had this ability. They have this willing to sacrifice in the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These value, by themselves, that they gain, it was, that they were enough motivation for them to sacrifice everything in the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what was the Prophet ﷺ depending on. To handle the pressure, to handle the responsibility, to feed those new people, to support them. Not that only. If the state is facing an attack from outside, they have to defend that state. You see the big responsibility? What was the guarantee? What was the guarantee? That was the only guarantee, the aqidah. Only the aqidah. People who used to fight each other before based on jahiliyyah and tribalism, now they are willing to face the challenge based on their new iman and their new faith. And look, those people with these values, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala described them in Quran. How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala looked at those people in Quran. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, A'udhu billahi min shaitan rajim, bismillahir rahmanir rahim, wal-lazina tabawwa'u ad-dara wal-iman, من قبلهم يحبون من هاجر إليهم ولا يجدون في صدورهم حاجة مما أوتوا ويؤثرون على أنفسهم ولو كان بهم خصاصة والذين تبوأوا الدار Those people who had the homes Talking about what? الأنصار Who has the homes in Medina And who has the Iman what is their characteristics? Yuhibbuna man hajara ilayhim. They love those people who migrated to them. They did not look at them as a lower class. Did not look at them as an immigrant. Why they have to come? Why they have to eat with us? Why they have to come and compete with us in our economy and our agriculture? They did not look at, the, did not look at them with this perspective. No, they loved them. They welcomed them. يُحِبُّونَ مَنْ هَاجَرَ إِلَيْهِمْ They love those who migrated to them. وَلَا يَجِدُونَ فِي صُدُورِهِمْ حَاجَةً مِمَّا أُوتُوا And they were not jealous because of what they get. وَيُؤْثِرُونَ عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ More than that, they prefer, they put them like, they, they give them the preference over themselves even if they are in a desperate need. Even they are in a desperate need. That is the description of Al-Ansar. So there is no surprise that Al-Rasul was relying and depending on those people to give and sacrifice in the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when we look at this description, brothers, even though this is talking about the Ansar of that time, but, but this applies on any group of Muslims. From that time until the Day of Judgment, who would, who would be like willing to give and sacrifice in the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So the Ansar who existed at that time means they could exist all times. And then they will exist on, the, on, on all times. Not like now, how they look at the refugees for example. If we look, how they look at the refugees now. 
And the biggest refugees that we're talking about right now is the Syrian people. They run away, not, they, they are not migrating. They run away from the war. They run away from the, from the brutal act of the regime of Assad. They run to Jordan. They run to Turkey. They run to, Leb uh, to Lebanon. What was the attitude of these governments and, 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 and regimes? They say, well, this is over, this is like burden. We can't. We can't deal with them anymore. We don't have enough resources. We don't have enough uh, to give them. We can't handle more than this. And then they go and they talk to the United Nations and they talk to the, these uh, international organizations. We need money, we need food, we need, we need, we need. We can't handle this anymore. That is not the attitude of Muslims. This is the attitude of Muslims. There should not be even borders between Muslims. There is nothing called this is my land and that's, my, and that's your land. No. The Muslim has the right to live anywhere he wants. And he must be welcomed anywhere he, anywhere he goes. So this ayah, it's true, it's true that it was talking and addressing the people of Ansar at that time, but it applies on every people who would act the same way as the Ansar acted at that time acted at that time and then the end, the end, at the end of the ayah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says فَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ they are the one the one who are successful they are the one who are successful so that was the characteristic of the Ansar then Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he gathered them the Ansar and he gathered the Muhajireen and he started addressing the people of Ansar and he initiated between them something that never exists and it will never exist in any other nation. Go and look in the history. Any other nations means a nation that is away from Islam or the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the bond of a brotherhood in Islam never existed in any nation and it will never exist in any other nation except in this nation which is the nation of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the bond of brotherhood the bond of aqidah a strongest bond ever that will never break it's the bond that will guarantee that those people will be always connected to each other, supporting each other and helping each other. For what sake? For the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If that bond was a bond of interest, self-interest, then it will break very fast and very quick. So this bond was not the bond of a tribalism. It was not, not the bond of uh, uh, patriotic or nationalistic or self-interest bond. None of these. It was a bond of Islam, a bond of the Aqidah. Rasulullah he started encouraging them to sacrifice in the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the Aus al-Khazraj. Now, the Muhajireen, those who were migrated, those people, they need two types of support. The first one, if we can say it, the psychological support so they won't feel that they are stranger or they won't feel that they are weak 
or they won't feel that they are in a low class or second class or to look at them as we said as an immigrant no those people they need to look at them from different angle that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala solved this problem when he revealed this ayah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala solved this uh, problem when he said أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم فالذين هاجروا فالذين هاجروا so in the, in the previous ayah he addressed the ansar he addressed the ansar now he is addressing the muhajirin or he is talking about the muhajirin فالذين هاجروا وأخرجوا من ديارهم those people who migrated and they were exiled out from their houses وأوذوا في سبيلي and they first and they were harmed in my cause okay وَقَاتَلُوا وَقُتِلُوا and they fought in the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they were killed in the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give them he says لَأُكَفِّرَنَّ عَنْهُمْ سَيِّئَاتِهِمْ لَأُكَفِّرَنَّ لَأُكَفِّرَنَّ I will forgive them all of their sins and I will make them enter Jannat Jannat paradise from beneath the rivers are running the reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the great reward look at the value that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving this those people so they won't have this feeling of you know what we are a burden in your shoulder no those are the people who entered islam from the early early days those are the people who are put in their shoulders the responsibility to convey the message of islam those people who were tortured and who were uh, living in the sanction and who were forced to leave mecca and they were the forced to and they were the, the people who were like being like some of them being killed in the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we're not talking about ordinary people, no. We are talking about people with a big and huge value. Those are the muhajireen. So this, this took care of the issue of psychological issue. So they are not any people, no. The people who faced what the Prophet sallallahu has faced. Now, Again, they need the financial support. So part of this bond that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or Rasulullah created, which is the mu'akha between the Ansar and the Muhajirin, he said, everyone from the Ansar should give his partner or his brother must support him with money, housing and food so after all of this preparation after all of this uh, preparation this brotherhood in Islam it should not just by word no it has to be by action so the Ansari must take the Muhajir and he must share the money and the house and the food with him all of them accepted the command of the Prophet without any objections, without any rejections. But they say we hear and obey. They accepted that and that 
because they, they believe that through this response, we achieve, we get, we acquire the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is the new concept of happiness that they have. That's the new concept of, of, of happiness that they have. All what they care about is to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they realize that without this bond, without this bond, we won't strengthen this state. And again, it's to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now let's just take one example. One example only to show the effect of this brotherhood in Islam. And that is the uh, hadith that was narrated by Abdul Rahman ibn Auf in Sahih al-Bukhari. He said, لَمَّا قَدِمْنَا الْمَدِينَةِ When we came to Al-Madinah, آخر رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بيني وبين سعد بن الربيع. He initiated the brotherhood between me and, and, and Sa'ad ibn al-Rabi' One from the Ansar فقال Sa'ad ibn al-Rabi' And Sa'ad ibn al-Rabi' said I am uh, uh, I am the richest among the Ansar So I will give you half of my wealth To Abdul Rahman ibn Awf I will give you half of my wealth and you may look at my two wives and whichever of the two you may choose I will divorce her and when she has completed you know the idda and whatever we name it then you go and marry her look somebody might you know Actually, uh, the, some, somebody, they look at this hadith as, and they take it against Islam and say, how, how, how they look at the woman? They look at the woman with no value? That easy? Just to choose one of my wives, and I will just give it to you? And I will give her to you? This is against the woman's rights. That's there where they look. But they don't look at the aqidah that initiated this act. They do not look at... A man that initiated and make this man sacrifice even one of his wives. They don't understand what is behind this motivation. What is behind this movement of those Muslimin. They sacrifice everything. They, they, those Ansar, those Ansar, they sacrifice everything in the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Somebody in the door. Can somebody open the door for him? I don't know. Sorry. So it's not, it's not as they look at it From the perspective they look at it as emotional or uh, instinct No, it's the aqidah Now look at the response of Abdul Rahman ibn Awf okay. Abdul Rahman ibn Awf did not say Well, that's a big chance Half of his wealth He is the richest of the Ansar Half of his wealth and I will choose one of his wives. That is a big opportunity. The response of Abdurrahman ibn Awf, he said, Barakallahu laka fi ahlika wa malik. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give you the barakah in your wealth and in your ahl. I'm not going to take anything from you. Laysa li sha'nun bidhalik. La urid. I don't want anything from you. But show me the market. 
Do you have a market for business? Abdul Rahman Ma'af, he was among the richest people of Muhajireen. And he has left everything behind him. And he went to Medina without anything. No money, no wealth, no nothing. Nothing. He just told him, just show me the market. I will take care of myself. Then he took him to the market. Within no time, Abdul Rahman bin Awf, he started trading. And he was able to build, one more time, uh, 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 his, uh, his wealth. Look at this attitude. Look how our Rasul was able to solve this problem. To solve this problem. Then after that, the Ansar, moreover, they want to give more. They came to our Prophet and told him, you know what? Why don't you give them even divide between us and the Muhajireen half of our crops? Then the Muhajireen said, no. We will work with you and you pay us salary. That's fine. Pay us salary, we will work for you. So the economic issue has been resolved. The psychological issue has been resolved. This society became a homogeneous society. Very strong bond that nobody can break. That's what the Ummah nowadays needs. That bond, the Aqidah bond. The bond that does not look at the color, that does not look at the, at the country, that does not look at the borders. There is no borders among Muslims. The bond of Islam, we all belong to the same Ummah. As we will see how Rasulullah he made this one, article number one in the constitution of Medina. In the constitution of Medina. So this is the way Rasulullah solved this problem. So if now with all of the division that's been created among between the Ummah, with all of this tribalism that existed among the Ummah, with all of this nationalism and patriotism and all these, if we, it's a matter of, it's a matter of saying the relationship between me and you, not the color, not the tongue, the relationship between me and you, it is the aqidah of Islam, that we believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we are brother, brothers in Islam. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Quran, He named us Muslims. He named us Muslims. With this, with this attitude, that issue was resolved. That issue was resolved. Now to make this, or to strengthen this, Rasulullah started addressing the Muslimin, Muhajireen, and Ansar with so many ahadith to strengthen this relationship. I will give you just a few examples. Rasulullah says, Al-Muslimu akhu al-Muslim. The Muslim is the brother of the other Muslim. لا يخونه does not betray him. ولا يكذبه and he doesn't lie at him. ولا يخذله ولا يخذله and he does not does not surrender him. Does not leave him away. These values, even though we read them here, but unfortunately we don't see them on the on on on, on reality nowadays. We don't see them in reality nowadays. Rasulullah was saying this to make sure that these values are exist. Any type of harm from a Muslim against another Muslim, it's completely prohibited. It's completely prohibited. His honor, his wealth, his blood is prohibited. The believer to another believer like the building, like the bricks. 
when you put the bricks one at the top of each other, they strengthen each other by each other like this. That's the mu'min with the mu'min. And لَيْسَ الْمُؤْمِنُ الَّذِي يَشْبَعُ Allahu Akbar, this is a very strong hadith. لَيْسَ الْمُؤْمِنُ الَّذِي يَشْبَعُ وَجَارُهُ جَائِعُ The mu'min is not the one who has a full stomach and his neighbor is hungry. Now we're not talking about one single neighbor who is hungry. We are talking about nations who are hungry. We are talking about people in thousands and hundreds and thousands, millions who are hungry on one side and on the other side we see so many people and millions of people they don't know where to go with the food. They don't know where to go with the food. This is, this is not what Rasul established in Medina. So how do we solve these problems? We go back to the seerah of the Prophet How did he initiate this strong bond between the Muslimin? Remember the, the 17th year of Hijrah at the time of, of Umar ibn Khattab anhu, the famine the famine year that took place in Mecca in Medina and the surrounding area when Umar ibn Khattab anhu, was the first to be hungry and the last to be full. The first to be hungry and the last to be full and he said by Allah I will never eat any meat until all the Muslimin were full. What did he do? He wrote, he wrote letters to Amr ibn al-As to the governors to Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas in Iraq to Abu Ubaidah in Bilad al-Sham telling them how could you eat and your brothers here are hungry? What was the response? Did he say, well, let's go and have a complaint in the Security Council? Or let's do a negotiations? No. He sent him a letter. We will send you the support and the help. Amr ibn al-As would send like 1,000 camels with food and riches and 1,000 ships. The same thing, Abu Ubaidah, and the same thing, Sa'd ibn Abu Qas. Right away. Right away, the act was right away. Was why? Because this what was this what was the Prophet sallallahu this, this is what he built. This is what how he sold this this brotherhood in Islam. It's not just by word. I see you, I smile in your face, and I hug you. Oh my brother, mashallah. And then when the issue comes to a serious help, you don't see my face, or you know what? I will just make du'a for you. That's not acceptable. That's what the, what, that's what the ummah nowadays need. How a Rasul sallallahu fixed these issues. How he built that strong, strong and solid Islamic state in Medina. So it was a very like homogeneous society. Is that enough? No. After all of this, Rasulullah he comes and he wrote the constitution. The second important thing is to document this. We have to document these rules, these regulations, this brotherhood in Islam. How do we solve these issues? So he came to write the constitution 
and that constitution was based again on the aqidah of Islam. It was not, it was not a man-made constitution or it was not a constitution that was taken from the Romans or the Persians or that was taken from Quraysh. It's a constitution that was derived from Quran and Sunnah, from the aqidah of Islam. Rasulullah did not accept any gradual implementation of Islam. We did talk about this last time. You know, when we said the, the majority, as we said, are mushrikeen in Medina. Muslimin, they were the, the minority. Rasulullah did not come say and say, well, we are minority now in numbers. Let's wait until we strengthen ourselves. Then we could, you know, implement Islam. No, from day one. From day one, he put all of these rules and regulations based on Islam. He wrote a constitution that's based on Quran. Not like now, the people, the moment they, they sit on the authority chair nowadays and they become a president, where they go? They go and they start begging the West to give them constitutions and begging the West to give them rules and regulations. Can we imagine that really? An ummah with a great book from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala searching and looking for a constitution from France and from America and from Russia and from China? Is this acceptable? Is this what, what the Prophet ﷺ did in Medina? No, Allah. He put a constitution that was established based on the aqidah of Islam. So anyone now who claims that he's working to establish an Islamic state, he must have a constitution based on the aqidah of Islam ready. Ready. For implementation, once they take over, not to wait and give me a chance until we fix, you know, this, until we become strong. Rasulullah did not look at this. Islam and only Islam. And now let us take a look at some of the articles in this constitution. The first and the most important, the Muslimin. They are one nation. They are one nation. Al-Muslimuna Ummatun Wahida. They are one nation. Mindunin Nas. To the exclusion of other people. One nation. This is a clear response to, to those people who are calling for nationalism and tribalism and calling for you know, patriotism. You are proud to be Pakistani? You are proud to be Jordanian? <laughs> that doesn't count based on the constitution that was written by Rasulullah. Ummatun Wahida, one nation. What makes this nation like this? Again, it's the bond of Islam, the aqidah, the Islamic aqidah. Somebody might come and say borders, passports, that does not count in Islam. No borders, no passports. You want to go from Jordan to, uh, to Al Jazeera Al Arabiya, you need passport? This is a disaster. Where this one comes in the picture then, if we are one nation? To the exclusion of the other nations? This is the constitution, this is the real constitution from Allah. Building a strong state. Then, one of the articles says, the immigrants or al-muhajirun of Quraysh. Unite, look now, the responsibility. 
Now look at the responsibility of each one that has to take. He says, the immigrants of Quraysh unite together and shall pay and shall pay blood money among themselves and shall pay off their prisoners and shall pay off their prisoners this is the responsibility means what means well the dia if somebody is becoming like uh, subject to a dia and he can't all must help as one unit one body that's for the Quraysh and he says and every tribe of Ansar unite together as they were first and every section among them will pay the ransom for freeing its relative prisoners there is no selfish here that I live for myself no you are among this ummah this is your brother this is your brother there is responsibility that you have to take care of believers shall not leave anyone believers that's another article in the constitution believers shall not leave anyone needy among them by not paying his release money or blood money in kind what if somebody he's a Muslim but he doesn't belong to the Muhajireen he doesn't belong to the Ansar nobody should take care of him or release him if he got captured no then it becomes the responsibility of all Muslims one of the articles whoever is rebellious or whoever seeks to spread hostility and treason and treason among the Muslims who wants to create a, a status of fear among the Muslims who try to snatch and take the money away from the Muslims what would be the response the response is the hand of every Muslim shall be against him even if he is even if he is his son and even if the one who is causing all of these problems your son then you have to come with the Muslims no tribalism so as if he says any attack any attack on any Muslim it is an attack of on the whole ummah and the ummah must respond and take care of this attack not if the attack does not come to the borders that been made by psychics Biko that was created by psychics Biko then I won't move even if the killing and the attack and the the destruction on another country if that attack is not within the borders that was made and created by the West then I am good that is not the attitude of Muslims that's not the attitude of Islam the attitude is any attack on any Muslim no matter what or where or when it should be taken taken as an attack on all the Muslims and they must all respond and they must all be up to this responsibility to help and support and defend that Muslim that's in the Constitution and one of the most articles are must one of the most important articles 
in that constitution, whenever there is a dispute or a differ about a matter or an issue, where do you go with it? It must be referred to Allah and Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Not to the Security Council, not to the United Nations, not to the human rights, not to any of these institutes that exist nowadays. Where do you go with it? We go back. Where? To Allah and His Messenger. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَطِعُوا اللَّهَ وَأَطِعُوا الرَّسُولَ وَأُولِي الْأَمْرِ مِنْكُمْ All you who believe, obey Allah and the Messenger. And obey the people of authority. فَإِن تَنَازَعْتُمْ فِي شَيْءٍ And if there is a dispute among you on certain matter or certain thing, what do you do with this? فَرُدُّوهُ Take it back to where? إِلَى اللَّهِ وَالرَّسُولِ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ If you believe, if you are a true believer, if you are a true believer, I wish everybody read and understand these ayah from those people who always sit in the United Nations and the, the, the Security Council and they seek their help and their support and every once in, day, uh, every once in a while they go and write you know, a dispute in the Security Council, come and help us and they will never receive the help. Here what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, if you are a true believer, if you're really a true believer, where do you go? You go back to Allah. You go back to the Qur'an, you go back to the Sunnah. If you do not, then you have to go and check your Iman. You have to check and you have to go and check your Iman. And therefore, he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, with all of this, he built a very strong and firmed, firmed bond in the society of Medina. And that was the beginning of the core of that Islamic State that within 10 years, it will spread in all of Al-Jazeera Al-Arabiya. That bond based on love, brotherhood, sacrifice. And on the top of that, it's to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So with this, the issue of Aus and Khazraj, the issue of uh, Al-Ansar and Al-Muhajirin was resolved by this bond and this constitution and this uh, harmony that was created among the Muslimin which is missing now, which is missing now. So this is a headlines for the upcoming Khalifa. When the Khalifa comes, these will be like an issues. These borders and these different ethnics and these different colors, it will be an issue. How do we solve it? Through the constitution that was written by the Prophet ﷺ in Medina. Very simple. Take it and apply it. All of these questions that people trying to, you know, provoke and bring, for what reason? For, for, the, for, for the sake of, you know, just sit down and relax, the change won't happen. How would you come and get the people from, you know, Uzbekistan who are talking like different language, with different culture, with different even food, to get together with the people who live in Morocco? It exists. The bond of Islam, it exists. That's what Rasulullah did. The brotherhood in Islam, it exists. All what we have to do is to have it in our practical, in our practical life. So that was with the Muslimin in Medina. Now the Muslims in Al-Habasha, 
even though it was the responsibility of the Prophet ﷺ, he told them to stay over there. Because the state at that time cannot handle more to migrate to them. And they were under the protection of the king of Habasha. So stay over there until I sent you to come. So those people, they came to Medina after Al-Hudaybiyah Treaty, when the state became very strong. As far as the Muslimin of Mecca, our Rasulullah he sent them a message to hide your Islam. Do not proclaim your Islam. And because of the, as we will see in like, inshallah in the future with the details, because Quraysh, it took the stand of war against the Muslimin. Those people, and their situation were very, was very tough. Can you imagine that they will be like forced to go and fight the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam while they were Muslims. And some of them, they were very weak and they were captured by their masters and they were locked in Mecca for many years. And those, those people, they were able to escape as we will see right after the Treaty of, of Al-Hudaybiyah when they joined the band of Abu Basir close to, uh, close to, uh, close to Medina. So those, their issue, the Muslimin in Mecca, their issue was not resolved until the conquest of Mecca. Completely, until the conquest of Mecca, but they were under the responsibility of Rasulullah So he did take care of them by telling them, do not show your Islam. Keep hiding your Islam. And the Muslims in the other tribes, they were under their tribe's protection. The Prophet ﷺ told them, stay over there until I write to you to join, to join me. And those, they came also after the treaty of Al-Hudaybiyah. So that was the challenge of the Muslims and how Rasulullah took care of it. Now, the Mushrikeen. The Mushrikeen, as we said, there are the Mushriks in, uh, in, in Medina. Rasulullah he did not do a struggle or a conflict between them. Rasulullah he was talking to them with husna, with a very nice tune, inviting them to Islam, calling them for Islam. And he did not cause any isolation. This is very, very, very important. He did not let them like form a group within a, within a society, no. He was always getting them involved. He always talking to them. He was always discussing with them. He was always uh, addressing them with, uh, uh, with Islam. And he never leave them alone because that is very critical. That is very critical. Those people could form, you know, a group within the society that will cause, you know, a damage against the Islamic State in the future. And part of this happens when the, when the hypocrites, when the hypocrites was formed. When the hypocrites was formed. Uh, one, one story actually, was, which is very important, is was narrated in the Sira book, when Rasulullah he says, uh, uh, that Usama ibn Zayd told him, told, said that uh, and Nabi sallallahu he was riding on a donkey and Usama ibn Zayd was riding behind him and he was going to visit Sa'ad ibn Ubadah from Al-Khazraj. While he was going, he came 
a group of people. In that group, they were like Muslims, and they were Jewish. And at the top of that, uh, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, the head of the hypocrites. When the Rasulullah approached them, and when the Rasulullah stopped, that donkey caused like a dust, you know, to come. And Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, he covered his, his face and he said, Rabbarta alayna. Why you are causing all of this dust? Then Rasulullah he did not go and have this conflict between him, with him. He sat with them, Rasulullah and he starts calling them for Islam. Then Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, he said, How beautiful is your words? But I have a suggestion for you. Why don't you stay in your house and anyone who wants to listen to you, he would come and listen to you. As if he's telling him what? You know, let's just separate religion from the state. Let us do like some separation of politi- uh, uh, like religion and politics. Why you have to come in our nadi, in our club? In our nadi or in our club and bother us with this. Then Abdurrahman, Abdullah ibn Rawaha, he said, O oh, Rasulullah, إِغْشَنَا فِي مَجَالِسِنَا فَإِنَّا نُحِبُّ ذَلِكَ O oh, Rasulullah, don't listen to him. Come to us anywhere you want and talk to us. We love to hear from you. We love to hear from you. Then this caused some sort of conflict between the Muslimin and the Mushrikeen. But Rasul again, he was not in a position to go and have conflict with those people. No, he wanted to contain them and make sure they are not isolated and they are not forming any group that could be like a, a, a threat against the Islamic State. And then I will conclude with the Mushriks of Quraysh. And Shah Ta'ala will emphasize on this uh, more next time. The Mushriks of Quraysh, those people, as we said, if you remember, be, not the, 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 the struggle with the Quraysh did not start on Badr only. No, it was before that. Those people, the Mushrikeen of Quraysh, once they realized that Muhammad is protected, he's been harbored in Medina, right away they declared the state of war against the Yathribis, against the Ansar, against Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Abdul Rahman ibn Ka'b ibn Malik reported that on the authority of man, uh, from an authority of a man from among the companions of the Prophet sallallahu that the people of Quraysh wrote a letter that's before Badr, before the battle of Badr, before that. Look at their action. They wrote a letter to Ubay, to Ibn Ubay. And those worshipped idols from Aus and Khazraj, the Mushrikeen. While the Messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was at that time in Medina, before the battle of Badr, they wrote, you gave protection to our, companion, uh, to our uh, companion, our people. We swear by Allah, that is the message of Quraysh. Now they are threatening right away, a real threat. We swear by Allah, you should fight him or expel him or we will shall come to you in full force until we kill your fighters and we appropriate your women. That is a message 
from the people of Quraysh to the people of the Mushriks in Medina. The Mushriks in Medina. When this news reached Abdullah, uh, Abdullah ibn Ubay and those who are worshipping the idols, they gathered together to fight the Messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, Rasulullah was not sitting and sleeping, no. He was watching. He has his own intelligence working in Medina, bringing him the news to act right away. He is a head of state right now. So, Rasulullah, when he came, when the news reached to the Prophet, وسلم, look how he dealt with them. Again, he did not go and have a face-to-face -face struggle. Always with a nice tone, with a nice, with a sweet words. He came to them and he said, By Allah, the threat of Quraysh to you has reached its end. Its end means yani, it, it did get to you. It did get to you. The threat of the Quraysh or they cannot, he says, they cannot conduct, he says, they cannot conduct a plot against you greater than what you, what you yourself intended to harm yourself. Means Quraysh won't do to you what you are planning against each other. And he says, are you willing? Now he is using, you know, he is using the old, you know, terms that the Arab used to you know, to be like proud of, which is like, you know, nobody can come and touch my honor or my family or my, I can't allow this. So he starts like talking to them from this tone. And he says, are you willing to fight your sons and brothers? Once they hear these words, they scattered away from Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul and Rasulullah was able to make this attempt fail. And there's a lot. They send letters to the Yehud. They send more letters to Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. And from, from, as we said, from day one, they were trying to get to the Prophet ﷺ and get to the state and, 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 and to collapse and to destroy that state. But all of their attempts failed. And again, this is not just for to understand or to, 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 to enjoy or to... Uh, as we said to, uh, you know, a story to love. No. These are headlines for the upcoming Khalifa, inshallah ta'ala. The upcoming Khalifa must understand and must read and must realize these, you know, actions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That state that was started in Medina, that state that was started in Medina, which was surrounded by big empires and big threat from the tribes around Medina, around Medina, from Quraysh, that state was established on a solid and strong basis that was based on the Aqidah of Islam. That's why, that's why it was able to reach out and control most of the world that was known at that time within 15 to 20 years within 15 to 20 years. So for all of those who are saying that we can't establish an Islamic state and if the Islamic state is going to fail and it's going to face, face all of the, the challenges, this seerah of the Prophet ﷺ proves them wrong. It is a response to all of this false claims. 
Subhanak Allahum wa bihamdik la ilaha illa ant nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaik. Inshallah ta'ala we'll stop here and we'll continue uh, next time inshallah ta'ala. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran tafsir and sirah are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment, and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend about IslamPodcast.com, as well as rate, review of iTunes.